Hello and welcome into Jam Session. Glad to have whoever you are listening to us. Jam Session is Matt McLaren and Jean-Jacques Taylor. We're two guys who used to do a radio show on ESPN Radio in Dallas, Texas. We now do this podcast. We talk a lot about the Dallas Cowboys, other Dallas sports teams, and just our interests in Dallas, nightlife, stories, beer, all kinds of things. Glad to have you. Thanks for listening. Let's get going. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored as always by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law will fight that legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 359, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. Oh, a lot to discuss here on this version. We've got all sorts, uh, little tidbits around the NFL, some notes about the Cowboys to get into, all kinds of things happening throughout the free agency process. Got some interesting stuff in the block. We're going to have fun. This is going to be a good one. And of course, as we start, we always tell you right off the top, because this is a big thing and it's important. If you've been injured in a car wreck, if you've been hurt on the premises of a business, I cannot stress to you enough, do yourself a phenomenal favor and call Robert Greening and the Green team over at Greening Law. It's an easy call to make, 972-934-8900. The consultation is free. And I think that's a big key for you guys to realize you may be, I don't know, do I have a case? Here's what happened. They take all the facts, they dig into it for you, and then they let you know, hey, you know what? You do have a case. Let's bring you on as a client. And if they do that, wow. It, it's They are a fantastic place that really, they're experts, they know what they're doing, and they help you tremendously. I can tell you that. No, I think the thing that Matt has talked to you guys about throughout this whole process is you need somebody to help you through the process. It can be lengthy. It can be tedious. It can be complicated. It can be intimidating. And so you want to ride with somebody who can help you, you know, relieve any anxiety that comes with all of that. And so who better than Greening Law? So if you're involved in an incident and and as Matt said, it happens away from your home, it doesn't matter if it's apartment complex, business, wherever, just pick up the phone before you do anything else and call 972-934-8900. Tell the green team your circumstance and say, hey, what do you think? And if they bring you on as a client, Matt can tell you, it's been a good day for you because eventually it's going to be a better day for you because exactly they don't right. get paid mm-hmm. unless you get paid. That is exactly right. You, na- you nailed it. It's 972-934-8900. Robert Greening, call him now, offices Dallas, Texas. So the Cowboys... You know, we were telling you guys about Dalton Schultz all throughout the season. Dalton Schultz now, after sitting on the free agent market for a week, has found a new home. And he is headed down to Houston, joining his buddy Noah Brown, who also went down there to Houston. He signs a one-year, $9 million contract with the Houston Texans. That makes him the 13th highest paid tight end in the NFL. 
But what's wild about that is Albert Breer reported yesterday that he was offered and turned down a three-year, $36 million offer from Dallas last year. Bet on himself, apparently thought that he was the next Travis Kelsey, the next TJ Hawkinson, the next Mark Andrews. And, you know, part of this, because those three names, I bring them up, those three along with Schultz are the only tight ends to have 50 catches or more and 500 yards or more in each of the last three years. You know, George Kittle would be on that list had he had his health. But it's... I don't know, man. When you look at this, it's kind of interesting because I think everyone around the NFL also saw what we had been telling you guys, that Dalton Schultz is just kind of a guy. Nobody wanted to offer him the money that he thought apparently he was going to get. No, I think the the problem with Dalton is he got caught up in David Njoku's contract with the Browns. That's, That's just my opinion. I think he got caught up with that. And he was like, well, hell, I know my numbers are better than his. Mm. But um, when you look at it and you look at the tight ends ahead of him, man, on the money train, you can see why they're they're ahead of him. Maybe you say some guys are equal, but whatever. But it just seemed to me, man, that um, he was never a game changer. He's a good player. I don't want people to get confused just because he's not like my favorite player personally. He's a good player, but he's not the kind of guy that people sit up there and go, Okay, we got the Cowboys this week. The fuck we gonna do with Dalton Schultz? Mm. Nobody says that. But when you played the Raiders before Darren Waller got traded, okay, how we what's our plan for Darren Waller this year? And when the Cowboys play the Giants this year, it'll be okay. What we doing with Waller? Is Curse got him? I mean, man to man, well, what's the plan? When you play San Francisco, yo, what we gonna do with Kittles? The Chiefs, what we gonna do with Kelsey? Even the Eagles, you have to figure out what you gonna do with Dallas Goddard. Because if not, he'll bust your ass like what happened in the Super Bowl. So um, he's not that kind of guy, and he got paid accordingly. I'm more surprised. I can't figure out what I'm more surprised with, so let me run it past you because I've been thinking about this for a minute. Am I more surprised that the Cowboys offered this dude $13 million (laughs) a year or am I more surprised that he turned it down? Dude, if they offered him $13 million a year, I'm like, how the hell did you convince yourself that you wanted more than that. Yeah, that's that's a good point because you look at it at $13 million a year. I mean, you're talking about you then become one of the highest paid tight, your top seven highest paid tight end in, in, in the NFL. And you, you, to your point, you're not getting on the top five line. I mean, Darren Waller now is the highest paid tight end in the NFL. He's got 17 mil, then Kittle at 15. Travis Kelsey's 14-3. If you're getting within a million dollars of Travis Kelsey, a million dollars of Mark Andrews, I don't know how you look at that as a guy in Dalton Schultz who really hasn't made a, some massive amount of money in his career and think that you're going to do something better than that. It makes no sense. No, it's uh, it's ego, man. It's ego. Um, that's the same reason why he stopped talking to the Dallas media, uh, except for Michael Gelkin of the Dallas Morning News this year. It's, it's just ego, man. He has a uh, He's a good player, but he has a way overinflated opinion of himself. Yeah, for Stanford guy, he should know better. <laughs> and, and you know, it's weird because statistically, again, it, it, statistically he can measure up. But to me, 
like, like we have said, and no. we pointed out a gazillion times, he, he's just not on that level. And, you know, his first two years in the league, he did nothing. And then Blake Jarwin goes away, and all of a sudden, oh, well, Dalton Schultz is our starter, and we really don't have anybody else that's a threat. And then you look at it, you know, 78 for 808 in 2021. That dropped off to 57 for 577 this past year. And it's not like he, he doesn't do anything special. And again, they drafted Dalton Schultz the new Dalton Schultz and Jake Ferguson, who's going to be the new Dalton Schultz in 2023. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. And check this out. If they wanted to take a tight end this year, you could take one probably in one of the first two rounds if, if you wanted to, to upgrade from Jake Ferguson. And mm. so, no, I'm with you, man. It's a uh, sometimes, you know, I don't know. Because, again, Dalton Schultz is a good player. And I don't know why. He, I'd love to. I can't wait to hear from Michael Gelkin to hear why he turned it down. I call him the Dalton Whisperer, <laughs> um, you know, because it's true. And let me let me put this into context for some of you guys who like to at people. Hey, Gelkin, at Taylor, he, he's taking shots. At no, everybody in his career has somebody who becomes their guy. Darren Woodson was my guy. Dion became my guy. Um, you know, uh, Tony Romo was um, Archer's guy. And so you end up with guys that you relate with for whatever reason, and they become your guy. That's who you go to. That's who you talk to. And then you become the guy who typically runs their information out there. So for whatever reason, he became the Dalton Schultz guy. Uh, You know, so it'll be interesting to hear how and why he turned the money down. I'm sure it's because he thought he could get more. But at a certain point, man, you got to go, I got a good fit here. I fit with the quarterback. I fit into the offense. 13 million puts me in the top eight of tight ends. And this is a very important thing I'm about to tell y'all. At 27, I can probably see all of this 39 million. Yeah. Okay. All of it, because I'm only going to be 30. I intend to be productive so I can get it all. Then it's not so much that they're going to be like, hey, we got to cut you. No, I can get it all and have that 39 million in my bank account by the time I'm 30. I'm straight from here on out, especially as a Stafford guy. You would think so, yeah. Instead, you know, and what, check check this out, Matt. Realistically, what is he betting on? You're not going to make Kelsey money at 14-3. So you're only betting on an extra million. You might say, well, it's a million. A million for three more years. Okay, the difference between thirty-nine million and forty-two million, so to speak, is not very much. It's still you can still buy a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, and mm-hmm. a mansion if you want to, and go on vacation twice a year to a nice spot. So it's not changing your lifestyle. That's the point. So I don't know why he did that, but that was a dumbass decision. It was, especially when you consider. I mean, again, and this is including last year when he played twenty twenty-two on the franchise tag and made ten point nine million dollars in his career. In his five seasons in the NFL, he's made a total of $15.8 million. So he more than doubled that, potentially, if he, if he made the three years with the Cowboys. He more than doubled his entire career earnings in three seasons, and he walked away from that. Now he's getting one for nine. We'll see. It'll be interesting because I anticipate... And like I said, I look, he put up numbers here that were decent. If you played fantasy football, tight ends are hard to come by, man, in the world of fantasy football, because who do we all go for? The ones that we all mentioned that are better than Dalton Schultz. 
But tight ends, he's going to have an opportunity in Houston because they don't have anybody to throw to. They traded for Robert Woods. They went out and signed Noah Brown, who right now is probably their number two wide receiver. I'm not kidding you. Now, might they do something in the draft? Potentially. They're going to have a rookie quarterback, maybe a C.J. Stroud, a Bryce Young, who might potentially struggle and look for a guy like a Dalton Schultz. So I wouldn't be surprised if Dalton Schultz goes down to Houston and just out of default puts up a 75 catch 800 yard season. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Okay, and that's still 10 yards a catch, which means he ain't going to get paid. Right. I mean, it, <laughs> I mean, it, he's not going to get paid like an elite player, which is why you should have took the money that was on the table. Right. Plus, it's a better team. It's a better team. It's a better quarterback. It's a good fit for you. It's, you know, ah, bro. Ego run amok, man. Makes people make more dumb decisions than anything. Yeah, apparently so. And, and, and that's the key right there, like you just brought up. I mean, this is a 10-yard-to-catch guy. When you look at most of the other tight ends, I mean, I can just tell you, I know for a fact Travis Kelsey's 12, 13 yards to catch. Mark Andrews is 12 yards to catch, it, it, 13 yards to catch at times. It's, yeah, I don't get it. And, and none of us got it. And, it. and it goes back, and we'll get in as we kind of make our way through things that are happening affecting the Cowboys roster. So Dalton Schultz is gone. But they did resign so many of you the belief that Cooper Rush was an NFL starting quarterback that you could put Cooper Rush out there and man, this is a guy that you can win with. I, I never forget some of the tweets and whatnot, the messages we would get at the beginning of the year last year when Cooper Rush was out on the field. Think about this. And again, it goes to the point of what the NFL, the people that do this for a living, the people that watch the tape and look at everything. Cooper Rush was a free agent. Cooper Rush sat on the free agent market for a week. Dallas paid him $3 million a year to come back on a two-year contract worth up to $6 million. Think about that. So any other team in the NFL could have had Cooper Rush. And the Cowboys got him for $3 million a year. By comparison, the Dolphins went out and got Mike White and are going to pay him $8 million a year to back up Tua. So that just kind of tells you what everybody in the NFL looks at when they look at Cooper Rush. They don't see him as a viable option to be a legitimate starting quarterback in this league because any team could have had him for more than $3 million a year. (laughs) But you can't tell people that in the moment, man. They just get caught up. And, um, you know, I mean, anybody who understands football knows that Cooper Rush has limitations. That's why he's a good backup. Or he's proved himself as a good backup because we didn't know it until uh, last year. And so, you know, man, you know, maybe maybe more of you all will pay attention and listen uh, to what's going on because he's a, uh, you know, he's just, the best thing about Cooper Rush is when he gets in the game, it doesn't seem too big for him. And so you can kind of run your basic offense, but don't ever confuse him with Dak Prescott just because you're being basic and because you've seen other guys who you can't even run your offense with uh, when they're in there as backups. Yeah, and it goes all the way again to that whole thing with Dalton Schultz of, I mean, there was people that would sit there and go, oh, Dalton Schultz is better than you guys are saying. He's going to get paid, and he's not. He's just, I mean, come on, guys. Sometimes you have to put aside, and this is the hardest thing to do with a very passionate fan base, and there is a ridiculous amount of passionate Cowboys fans. Some of you are just flat-out delusional. I ignore those ones. But sometimes you, I mean, I'm a passionate Cowboys fan. But you got to look at this through a real light and and be realistic about what you're watching sometimes. And it's fun to do in the offseason. Oh, Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl and all this. But when you really strip it down and you get realistic about it, I mean, I think there are certain things you can say about this. Dalton Schultz and Cooper Rush being a couple of them. 
sometimes you just got to deal with things in a little bit more of a realistic light. No, and that's what we're here for, to give you that red pill and make you choke it down. Exactly. So there you go. Elsewhere with the Cowboys, and and again, I I don't know. I I just continue to find this a little interesting. They have restructured Brandon Cook's contract. They turned $8 million of his $12 million base into a signing bonus. That drops his salary down to $4 million this year, and now he will only count $6 million against the cap, which again frees up some cap space for them to use if they want. He's obviously going to make the $18 million he was guaranteed in Houston. And of course, the Texans are paying that $6 million. But it, it, it's curious that they continue to restructure some of these caps. And they still want to, I've seen the reports that they are working and hoping to bring back Dante Fowler Jr. and Jonathan Hankins. Both of those guys make sense. I, I really, the more you look at this Cooks deal, the more you got to like it because he's still signed for next year. And they've got a couple voidable years on that contract. So you get a year of Brandon Cooks. You can walk away from him for a $6 million dead cap hit after the 2023 season. Or with those voidable years, he's got a $13.5 million cap hit in 2024. You could use those voidable years, lower his cap hit, not screw your team, and keep this dude around for two or three more seasons if he ends up being what you think he can be for you. No, absolutely, and that makes it uh, that makes it good. Plus, I think Gallup is really a three-year deal, uh, and so you can get out of that if you want to. If he hasn't uh, become who you thought he was, they just have options. And the thing that you want as a general manager, as a franchise, is options. If you got options, you're in good shape. Just got you just need options. Yeah, Michael Gallup, man. We'll see. We, we're going to have to have more from you, buddy. But you're exactly right because. They can walk away from him. If they wanted to, they could walk away from him after this season, and it would be $13 million dead cap that they could spread out over three years if they, if they so chose. And then, of course, it, it just goes down from there. So chances are you keep him for another couple of years, and then you can you can walk away from him before he even turns 30. If, if he doesn't become the guy that you thought he was going to become when you paid him $11.5 million a year. No, that's true. So um, let's see how Brandon Cooks works. He's always been good, but he's moving into that age where you can fall off or you can fall down. I mean, you know, you can just not be as good a player uh, as you hit 30s. And so let's just see how it goes. But there's been no indication outside of the, that calf at the end of last year that that's, the, that's his, you know, that's where he's, his arrow is pointed. Yeah, and again, bringing in Brandon Cooks perhaps gives him the opportunity to have those receivers in place to where he can do more of what his role was when Amari Cooper was around here. And the idea, again, as you pointed out, full health. You got to like it if all three of these guys are healthy. You really got to like the idea that it's it's C.D. Lamb, Brandon Cooks, and Michael Gallup, and then whoever you draft, whoever's hanging around that comes in as a fourth option. Maybe it's it's probably even Tony Pollard or Jake Ferguson would be your fourth and fifth options. Yeah, because I'm I'm telling you, bro, I, you, to me, wide receiver is still at the top of the chart in terms of adding one in the first round or the second round because now that guy doesn't have to come in and be a saver. He can work his way in, learn the NFL game, be a nice contributor, and then, you know, you can see where his talent takes him. And maybe that allows you to make other moves with Cooks and Gallup in the next couple of years. Yeah, and it doesn't screw you over like the Jalen Tolbert pick where you kept telling us all through training camp you like your young guys and Jalen Tolbert can't even get on the damn field as an active member of the roster true but uh you know a lot of times man we get mad at Jalen Tolbert well Jalen Tolbert didn't draft himself and so you know maybe and maybe this is one of the few times Cowboys missed on a pick because they don't miss very often to me 
on premium picks, which to me is first three rounds. Um, you know, I went over this the other day, and so maybe I'll do it right quick since we're talking about it. With first round picks, you expect that dude to be a borderline star and sign a second contract. With second round picks, you expect him to be a really solid contributor, a starter, and get a second contract. With third round picks, you expect Connor McGovern. Can you be a part-time starter? Can you be a starter? Can you be a solid player? Can you be a real contributor? Maybe you get a second contract. Maybe you don't because you're good, but you're not quite good enough for us to invest big dollars in you. Fourth round, you want a solid contributor, hopefully on special teams, spot starter, uh, probably not going to get a second contract. And then fifth round and beyond, man, is can you be a significant contributor? Can you be a solid contributor? And then we don't expect you to get a second round, a second contract. So if you do, Anthony Brown, Jordan Lewis, I mean, Anthony Brown, that those are great. Your cell phone keeps kicking in a little bit from time to time. All right, let me just turn it off because I haven't moved it. Yeah, I don't know what the problem is. Interference from somewhere, who knows, man. It's, it's, it's the realm of technology. Everything always wants to interfere with something. Plus, I'm in Boulder, Colorado in a new setup. So Boulder. who knows? So who knows what's going on uh, in this office where I'm sitting? Yeah, and the good news is we're going to get into why. I, I mean, I'm sure the fact he's in Boulder, you probably assume he's there for Dion in Colorado, but we'll dive into that here shortly. Because I wanted to throw this out there. I'm, I'm curious your thought on Mel Kuyper Jr. put out his latest mock draft. And he, and, and again, we talked about this a couple weeks back, the idea that these quarterbacks might go one, two, three, four. He's got four quarterbacks in the top five with the Colts trading up one spot to three to make sure they get one of those two guys that they want that don't go one and two. And then Arizona just trading one spot back at four, taking Will Anderson with Seattle taking Anthony Richardson at five. That all makes a lot of sense. But at 26, and this is interesting because I got to tell you, I watch a lot of college football. I watch a ridiculous amount of SEC football. I watch football around the country from other teams like I probably watched Ohio State play a few times last year because they were going to be good and figured they might be in the playoff I watched one Northwestern game okay and that was because it was so nasty and gross up there that I tuned in for like a half he's got the Cowboys drafting a dude I've never heard of a defensive end out of Northwestern named Adetomiwa Adebowa and I'm 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 butchering the guy's name and I apologize, but I just saw this for the first time, so whatever. Apparently this dude blew up the combine, ran a four four nine forty yard dash at two hundred and eighty two pounds, which is the Ooh. fastest time of any player over two eighty since two thousand and six. And because of that, he is vaulting up. He Mel Kuyper says he's gonna rise. He he likely will go round one now, but then he points out he wasn't super productive in college with only nine and a half sacks in the last two years, played about 75% of his snaps at defensive end, but could move inside at the next level and work as a three technique tackle. And he points out, and I think this is fair, Dan Quinn values versatility. This is a guy you can move all over the line. And Demarcus Lawrence turns 31 before the beginning of the season we keep thinking skill position, add weapons for Dak, but at some point, I mean, is that a fair point? Do you think that they're going to need to address some sort of a replacement on that side for Demarcus Lawrence? Okay, that's a couple of questions. Let me let me ask the last one first, which is, yes, at some point they need to uh, 
to account for Demarcus Lawrence's age and okay, who's the next guy? Blah blah blah. Um, I would not draft that guy in the first round. I don't like workout warriors. Yeah. That's just your boy now. I don't, I don't like them at all. And it's interesting because I had a conversation with a couple guys yesterday, not about this guy, obviously, but just about football. And we, were, we ended up talking about workout warriors. How many guys look great without pads on? And then once you put the pads on, they can't play. Or how guys who don't have pads on look awful, Tom Brady. Mm. The game starts and you go, oh, wow, that dude can play. I don't give a damn about the workout warrior that was unproductive. And I'm re- now check this out, man. This is just your boy now, Jacques Taylor Scouting Inc. Um, I really don't care about a workout warrior who was unproductive in college, and now we're talking about moving him to a new position. Not in the first round, you know, maybe late second, early third. I could take a shot, but I'm not taking a shot in the first round. Why? What did I just say? First round teams want from their first rounders, guys who are going to be borderline stars. Um you know, who get a second contract. And that, to me, you know, you can't say with that guy, oh, yeah, that's what he's going to yeah. be. You can hope, you can pray, you can think, you can guess, but you can't be like, oh, no, this, yeah, this guy's going to do that. Yeah, you certainly can't do that. I was just looking at, <clears throat> excuse me, he's got nine and a half sacks, as I mentioned, in the last two seasons. He had 17 and a half tackles for a loss and four for four forced fumbles over 24 games as a starter there at Northwestern. Um, oh, you know, here's the other thing I heard this weekend. Yeah, it was this weekend from the, from somebody who knows the Cowboys pretty well that uh, they feel like with Vander Esch and Wilson and who they talked about, they talked about adding Hanking, Hankins right. and getting Dante Fowler back and Gilmore, that they really addressed their defense in the offseason. And with uh, Mike McCarthy calling plays and some and their lack of explosion on offense, they really want to use the draft to get more playmakers on offense in the first couple rounds. Which makes a lot of sense, and, and that's why, because at 27, and again, this is just Mel Kuyper's version of this. I, I don't know that this guy goes this – he's got Bijan going 27 right behind the Cowboys pick to Buffalo. And, and I, I just, again – I think that'd be hard to pass if he's there. I agree, man. And, and just because we've talked about this a million times, and I don't know their board, I would imagine on their board they've got B. John Robinson as a legitimate first-round draft pick. If you can get a legitimate guy that, that you might have in your top 10 and that you can get that dude at 27, it's like the C.D. Lamb pick. I, yeah. I, I don't know that a guy falls to you at 26 like that or even gets close to 26 that you sit here and go, okay, we got that dude ranked inside our top 10. We got a chance to get a top 10 pick in the 20s of the first round of the draft. I, I, I think you have to make the move for that. Matter of fact, if to me, this is just me, if he was there at 20, 21, 22, I'd move up to go get him. Because I think the value there, because and the value is there because you're going to keep him probably seven years. Yeah. Um, you know, the contract, the five years, franchise him one or two. And unless he's Adrian Peterson, okay, you've done your seven years and goodbye. Um, so I would do that. I wouldn't have any problem about that. Uh, now, since we're on the topic of running backs, um, and, and this, this fits in perfectly because I talked to somebody yesterday who has, uh, let me see, what did he tell me? He said he's been coaching college football for 37 years, uh, most of that as a running backs coach. And he said, Bijan Robinson, 
grown ass man mm-hmm. uh, will be. Now again, this ain't breaking news. Uh, will be everything you think he'll be in the NFL. He said he's built just like Saquon Barkley. Should be the same type of player. And this this guy recruited him out of uh, Arizona when he uh, when he when he chose Texas. Uh, now, uh, this guy also gave me some insight on who Devin. How you say his name? A chain. Yeah. Um, because he's a track guy and obviously he ran well at the combine, and he ran well despite a hamstring that was kind of strained. Um, so he can go faster than he ran at the combine. Uh, now the reason, one of the reasons he's 185 pounds, although I was told he's 189 right now. See, I got precise information for you. Whoa. Is that uh, because he runs track? He's never wanted to lift upper body because track guys like the upper body to be loose so that they can pump their arms and move. They don't want to be too built uh, up top. They want their, you know, their glutes and their hamstrings and, and their quads to really be popping, but not necessarily their upper body. Uh, so he said he's already up to 189, 190, and uh, that's about where he wants to go. Now, this guy told me I wouldn't draft him in the first round. He said I'd draft him mid-second uh, to late second, and on the third round, I'd jump on him. And, and the guy that he mentioned was um, kind of a Darren Sproles type, which lets you know, okay, fine, the guy mm-hmm. can be a good player, but he's not going to be a guy who's an every-down back. Um, so he'd be a good compliment to Tony Pollard, but you're still going to have to go out and get another guy the next year because he's not going to be able to carry the load. More of a third down guy because he can block. He can run between the tackles some. He can get on the perimeter, obviously. But uh, that's what I got on uh, Devin A-Chain. Yeah, A-Chain. Yeah, he he was one of those guys that you kind of wondered why Jimbo didn't utilize him more. He had 1,100 yards last year. Never cracked 200 carries in college. You know, he had 36 receptions last year, but he was a guy that averaged 6.4 in his career and per per touch he averaged 6.8 per touch on over 400 touches for A&M that I mean obviously you could see the speed that he had but like you said kind of a smaller back there's another dude that I've always I'm very curious about and if you get a chance to ask about this guy because he played at UAB he's 5'11 215 and that's Dwayne McBride who the past two seasons for UAB and this would probably be a third fourth round running back he had 204 carries for 1371 at 6.7 per in 2021. Last year, 233 carries, 1700 yards for 7.4 yards a touch. And this was a guy, I mean, he has speed, he size. Now, UAB had a really good offensive line and they play in a group of five conference. They're not playing in the SEC like Devin A. Chain was. Right. But I don't know, man. McBride's got something. And I wonder I wonder if somebody out there, if he ends up going like second round or higher in the third round, because I'm surprised I haven't heard more about him. And it may just be because he's from a smaller school and from a smaller conference. But I mean, all this did dude was produced for two full seasons as a lead guy at UAB. All right. Uh, I will run into that guy today. So uh, I'll ask him. Yeah, because I'm curious what he would say about somebody like that and, you know, the differences in conference and all that because going up against SEC defenses is much different than conference USA defenses. That's Uh, for sure. A little bit, a little bit. So as we continue here, and we got to get into why you're in Denver, but we also need to always remind you about Freeway Tire Shop. JR and his guys there, man, North Dallas, or I say North Dallas, north of downtown Dallas, right off of Commonwealth, right off of 35. And when you're looking for that mechanic you can trust, I keep saying that because I think 
we want you to know elite customer service stands behind his work. But the most important thing with JR and his team, you can trust this mechanic. We have found him. All of your worries will go away when you drop your car off at Freeway Tire Shop. Yeah, and that's because you don't have to worry about your car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Once you drop it off, you'll know that JR and his team is going to diagnose the issue very quickly. Number two, you know that they're going to fix your issue with quality parts because we all know not everybody does it. And then number three, man, he's going to charge you a fair price. And then you can also trust JR to stand behind his work. And so I like to tell you, and I'm real about this. If your mechanic that you currently use ain't doing all four of those things, not two out of four, three out of all four of those things, then like Matt said, go right up 35 toward Denton, get off of Commonwealth, go through the light and check out JR and Freeway Tire on the right because it's the best decision you'll make for your car because there's nothing worse than an unreliable car or an unreliable mechanic. Uh, JR will fix the unreliable mechanic part. So take your car to Freeway Tire and JR and, uh, you know, you'll thank us later. I, I promise you, you will. Yeah, you'll be glad you did. It's Freeway Tire Shop right there, man. You can't miss them. Or just check them out online at freewaytireshop.com. Also, of course, as we always try and remind you about HFX Foundation Repair. I mean, this is one of those things, man, when you get into foundation you just you don't want to screw with it. You never want to screw with it. You never want to mess with it. It's one of those things that can be hazardous if you don't get it taken care of when you start seeing those signs and you start realizing, okay, yeah, I might actually have a problem here. That's why HFX Foundation Repair, Aaron and his guys, they're going to come over and get you settled. Whether, again, it's the drainage of your property, it's gutter installations, it's a foundation issue, but you need to give them a call if you start seeing some of those things, and it's a free, no-obligation inspection to come out and give you some of that peace of mind. No, and that's what we're talking about, man. It's peace of mind. We like to call it lovingly a colonoscopy for your crib, and that's because why? It's easy. A colonoscopy takes care of your insides, stuff that people can't see, you can't see, your doc can't see. So you send some cameras up there and check it all out. Well, hey, what Aaron and his team do is check out your inside of your house, all the places you can't see, all the places causing those cracks and causing those sticking windows. They can check it out and make sure everything's on the up and up. And if for some reason something's not on the up and up, guess what? They can fix it. And most of the time, they catch things early. That's why you have them. And it's a fraction of the cost if they catch it late. So let Aaron and his team work for you. Give them a call. Consultation's free. And let them do their thing. Yeah, it's easy to do. Again, it's 817-770-0174. And it, it, you may go, foundation, I don't know. I'm telling you, man, it's, it's a free, no obligation inspection that could potentially save you thousands of dollars in damages. So give them that call or check them out online at hfxfoundation.com. And of course, as always, the podcast made possible by Smokey John's Barbecue. And if you haven't had a chance to try that jam session bowl yet, my question to you is why not? Because, well, oh, I don't live in the DFW area. We've had people that don't live in the DFW area swing into Dallas for whatever it may be and still find a way to make it over to Smokey John's Barbecue. They're local, they're family-owned, and that jam session bowl, I'm telling you, it is killer. And they made it just for you. They made it for all of our listeners. There is a menu item at a place in the world that is literally just for you. It's worth the drive, people. Trust me, it is worth the drive. They put that mac and cheese base or that mashed potato base on it, man, with your choice of two out of five smoked meats. Now, y'all know by now, I usually rock with the brisket and the sausage, but I've tried some chicken in there, too. And then they they cover it with all the stuff you find in a loaded baked potato. You know, the bacon, the chives, the butter, the sour cream. Dude, they'll even throw some parsley on there if that's how you get down. Then they drizzle it with that sauce. 
slap a lid on it if you're taking it home. And it's, I'm telling y'all, you got to trust me on this, it's, it's, it's easily enough for two. And if you got somebody that's six or seven little kid, the three of y'all can eat it. Trust me, it's that much food. If it's just one person, you just bought yourself two or three meals. So go to check out the Jam Session Bowl. It's Delicioso Mosho. Delicioso Mosho. <laughs> I mean, if that doesn't tell you what it is, I don't know what's going to. Smokey John's Barbecue, guys. Check them out. They're great people, and I think you're really going to enjoy your experience when you're over there at Smokey John's. So as we get into this trip around the block, it, it, you are another time zone away. You're in the wonderfully beautiful city of Boulder, Colorado, hanging out with Dion. You flew in on a private jet. You're visiting the new head coach at the University of Colorado. So what's going on? I imagine you're working on some stuff as you get ready to finish up your book. Well, let me let me start it like this. So, uh. I sent, now, this is just how he rolls. I sent Dion a text a couple of weeks ago about something I heard. And um, I knew he would enjoy it, but he enjoyed it so much he called me. I said, oh, this is the kind of text that required a phone call for you to talk about it. And so we were chopping it up, laughing about that. And he's like, you got to come out here. When are you coming out here? I said, uh, I don't know, sometime in the next couple of weeks, I'm trying to get my schedule right. And here's where I'm going with this. He said, well, when you come, you got to take JXX, JSX Airlines. And I go, why? What's the big deal about them? I've never heard of them. He goes, they fly right into Boulder, so you don't have to deal with the Denver airport. I said, okay. I will, uh, he said, it's not all that expensive. It's, you know, it's whatever. Check it out. So I checked it out. Dude. Let me tell you all about JX, JSX Airlines. They call it, let me see, how did they describe it? And look it up online while we're talking, Matt. They describe it kind of like as a flying private experience mm-hmm. on a regular airlines. Because it's not at Love Field. It's on Lemon Avenue, like where all the private planes take off or the uh-huh. people who learn how to fly and all that stuff. And so they got a couple benefits. Like the pricing is probably a little more expensive, but it's not significantly more expensive than American or any other major carriers. Now, if, if you're going to fly an off-brand carrier like Spirit or something, you right, can find yeah. a cheaper ticket. Man. It's not that much more experience than the major carriers. And what it is, they have about, it's like a regional jet, but the service is immaculate. And here's the, here's the thing, bro. You pull up to the uh, to the airline, and it's in a building, and you walk in, and you can get there 30 minutes before your flight. Because they don't start boarding until 20 minutes before the flight. And, um, dude, it was, a, it was a different experience, man. So, And then you got to walk out on the tarmac and you climb up the little ladder like you're going on a private plane. And yeah. then they try to they sell it like that because they're like, hey, we'll have the uh, person out there take your picture if you want it. And then they tell you how to share it to their hashtagging and all that stuff. Smart. But once, once you're on there, the seats are a little bigger, uh, a little roomier, even more so than a, than a uh, regional jet. And the service is immaculate. They come in, they got your water and stuff. But then, bro, they showed up with some other little treat, some kind of a breakfast cookie kind of thing. It was pretty good. Then they showed up with a yogurt parfait that was excellent. Wow. Blueberries and granola. Then they came through with another. So I was like, geez, I'm going to be stuffed before I get to, to uh, Boulder. And so uh, the flight was uneventful, very smooth. Uh, landed and uh, deplaned and you know like I said the best thing about it to me man was you can show like you can show up literally 30 minutes before the flight that whole get to the airport two hours early yeah nah nah you can literally show up 
30 minutes before the flight. And they, they, they suggest that. They tell you that's the best way to go. They tell you to ride share there so that you don't have to worry about parking. Uh, and they, they encourage that because parking is like $40 a day. So most people, you can take an Uber or whatever, and it's 25 or 30 or whatever it is. It's not $40 a day. So um, it's a great experience to flight, man. So that's why I was telling you I took a private flight out here. Yeah. Uh, huh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, man, when you sent that picture, I was like, I think I've seen that before because my sister-in-law flew JSX somewhere to meet my brother when he was doing his golf thing somewhere. It, right. it might have been like Dallas to Miami or something. I forget because I was just looking at their map. They don't fly. They don't fly anywhere near me. They don't fly anywhere in the southeast outside of three locations in Florida. They don't fly anywhere in Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama or Georgia. But they right. fly. It looks like I mean, they've got a hub apparently in Dallas where they, you can go from Dallas to several cities across the country. But it looks like it's, it's right now fairly limited because they only fly to obviously Florida, Texas. Oddly enough, you can fly from Florida up to New York. And then you've got, let's see, you've got New Mexico, you go California. Yeah, you got New Mexico, Colorado, Arizona, Nevada, and California. Those are the only states that they offer right now. Anywhere else in the country, you cannot take this service. Now, check this out. So I'm on a flight. There's only about 10 people on my flight. Well, about eight of us got off in Boulder, and the other two were going to Burbank. <laughs> so you've got another hour and a half flight or whatever it is to Burbank, L.A. area. Uh, and it's just you and one other person on the flight, bro. It's a trip. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. I mean, they, they say, like you're talking about, they say hassle-free, valet your vehicle, stroll right in 20 minutes before your flight, wave goodbye to long lines, sit back, Dude. and enjoy business class amenities. Bro, it's, huh. uh, I, hey, I got nothing but love for it, man. Nothing yeah, I've heard of that before. I'd be curious to check it out because, I mean, who wouldn't want to have to avoid all the hassle at the airport? No, it, it was fantastic. The first experience, fantastic. Nothing, nothing but good things to say about it. Well, good. Uh, so I got here, and yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, not having written a book like this before. You learn as you go, and so I, I turned in uh, my manuscript, but you know, they sent it back for revisions and stuff. And once you write something, you know, you don't sit down and write it all at once. You write it in parts over the period of time. But then as you go back and look at you like, oh, there's a that seems to be a glaring hole there. I need to fill that in. And so I'm just kind of doing the fill in work now. And so I came out to Boulder to hang out for a couple of days, talk to some coaches, talk to Dion and then also check out a scene, you know, because uh, obviously this is much different than Jackson. The facilities are fantastic. Uh, got a tour yesterday. It was it was cool. And then, uh, you know, because I know a lot of the guys on the staff. You know, they're pretty open about explaining, oh, here's where we are. Here's what it looks like, blah, blah, blah. Because they just started spring practice two days ago. So, dude, the most interesting thing is, and I'm not telling too much, is the playbook is literally the size of an old school um, telephone book. <laughs> wow. The defensive playbook. Because I looked at one of the coaches, I go, are you, is that, that's the playbook? He goes, yeah, we've been uh, we've been learning it since uh, we got here in January, you know, because they got because they're coaches. They have to teach it. So they have to know it intimately. And so they have to go through every page of it, mm. page by page until they understand it all in detail, obviously, so that so that they can coach it. And so it's just uh, yeah, so all of that was interesting. And then to uh, hear about, you know, how they're incorporating it the talent that they've got and the talent that's coming with the players who are here. It's a, it's all just kind of an interesting thing. 
Yeah, that's that's I mean, Boulder, I've been to Boulder before and it's a, such a beautiful city. I mean, Avery, which is one of the largest brewing operations in the country. Avery Brewing is in Boulder with a I mean, they have a gorgeous facility. So I always thought, man, when, when I went to Boulder, this is a few years back. I, I, I remember thinking, man, I should have just come up here and gone to college. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I don't know. Like, it's got to blow. Like, people that are not from that area, like the recruits and whatnot, you know, I mean, it depends on what you're into, obviously, but it's such a beautiful area of the country. I don't know. It's that's one of those places that I could see you just go and you never want to leave. No, uh, Dion has been like that a little bit. And I'm not I'm not saying by any stretch he'll be here forever. But uh, he's been, uh, you know, Dion is, you know, he refers to himself as country prime. Yeah. Because anywhere he's ever lived, he's been out in the country. And so he loves water. That's why every house he's ever had has a lake or a pond on it. Um, And so, you know, once he got past the cold, because he can't stand cold, once he got past the idea of cold, what's not to love about Colorado and all its beauty? You know what I mean? For for a guy like that who enjoys beauty and outside, what's what's not to love? I mean, you know, so I mean, he loves looking at the mountains every I mean, he just loves everything about the uh, the visual aspect of being in Colorado, so it's a obviously it's a beautiful place, and the mountains truly are majestic. Uh, it probably don't mean so much when you get used to seeing them, but you know when you're like me and you're not out here very often, it's a it's a very powerful thing, man. Just look out there, and wherever you look, there's some beautiful mountains. Yeah, no doubt. It, it it's it's a sight, and like you said, maybe you get used to it if you if you live there, but. I mean, I've been to the Denver area a handful of times, and every time I go, I mean, I've never stayed longer than like a week, but every time I go, you're just mesmerized by the the mountains and the snow-capped mountains and all that. There's so much to do. It's such a outdoorsy state because you can, you know, there's all these 14,000-foot mountains you can hike. There's all this hiking and just different things that you can do, whatever you're into outdoors-wise that's available in Colorado. There's always, I've always thought Colorado is extremely appealing to want to live in. No, I, can, I mean, you know, if if you get down with Colorado and and take advantage of all it has to offer, yeah, I can see. And when I say that, I mean, you get down with it. Like, OK, let's go snowmobiling. Let's uh, figure out if I need to learn how to ski or, or snowboard or, you know, just take advantage of what it has to offer. Then, yeah, I think you should get down. You know, let's go hiking. Let's go examine some of these trails and mountains and all that stuff. Then, yeah, I think when you embrace it, it's a it's a great place to live. So the other thing that I wanted to throw out here, and because I can't remember if I told you this or not, but we are going to see, and so Taylor Swift is the lady fiance's favorite musical act, artist, what have you. And, you know, I've gotten to be a Taylor Swift fan because of her. We went to that Taylor Swift concert in New Orleans a few years ago. It was incredible. Well, Taylor Swift is on tour again. And we are going to see her latest tour in Nashville coming up the first weekend in May. She opened her tour last week in, in Grant. So the Taylor Swift concert we went to a few years ago is the largest concert I've ever, it blew my mind. I mean, it, it, she's flying through the air, all these effects and whatnot. It was at the Superdome. It was wild. Well, I she, remember that. she just opened her latest tour. She plays songs from all of her albums. It's called the Eras Tour. And apparently the two shows she opened with last week, She's playing 44, 45 songs, and the show is three hours and 15 minutes long. She's giving you your money's worth and more. And I was like, what? I, I, I mean, I can't fathom seeing a concert for three hours and 15 minutes. 
I mean, am I, like most of the concerts I go to are like 45 minute shows or something. That one we went to before might have been two hours. I mean, three hours and 15 minutes. That's like a Bruce Springsteen show. I was just going to say that's like a Bruce show, man. That's what it is. I was like, this is going to be, I mean, this is just going to be on a different planet. You're going to go to the place, try to get there, you know, like 730 and you're going to walk out. If you're lucky, you'll be back at your hotel by midnight for a concert. Well, I mean, that just means you you understand what it is. And uh, I respect that, man. In, In an era where people, you hear about concerts and people showing up late and stuff, you know, she's showing up on time and making it happen. Yeah, and, it, and uh, it'll be interesting because, I, I mean, I've never, ever in my life been to a concert. I mean, I've been to festivals. I've, I, I've obviously been to places where multiple acts were playing, but for one performer to go for three hours and 15 minutes is, I mean, my God, that's impressive. And it, for anybody, I mean, especially the stuff she's doing, dancing on stage and doing all these costume changes and everything. So that'll be interesting coming up in, uh, well, I guess about six weeks or so. The other thing I wanted to throw out, if you get a chance, because I finally, last night, we watched The the Whale, the movie that Brendan Fraser won oh, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Academy Award for Best Actor for. And I got to tell you, man, while it is extraordinarily at the, at the core of what it is, I don't know how many people enjoy it because it's depressing. It, I mean, it is, you see... If you've ever seen my 600 pound life, like on TLC or whatever, where you are seeing what they're called morbidly obese, where, hey, if you don't lose some weight, you will die and it's going to happen very soon. Right. You see the life of a morbidly obese person. I would guess in this movie that he weighs somewhere around 800 pounds. Oh, it's unbelievable. Like he can he he can barely get himself off the couch. He has to have a walker to go anywhere because he can't without being able to lean over and, and make himself walk somewhere. He has all these hooks and whatnot around his house to help him pull himself up or to lay himself down. It shows wow. him like in the shower. It, 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 it's, you know, it shows him going through these depressive moments where he eats two pizzas at once and then goes through a bucket of fried chicken. And I mean, it, it really shows the, the lifestyle of somebody who is morbidly obese. It can be, and I mean, there are times where you're just sitting here it, it, it can be hard to watch at times because you're just like, man, like you're just killing yourself. Like you are killing yourself and you can't stop it. And he knows he's doing it. And he has this nurse that comes over who's like his best friend. And she's like, you're, you're going to die. She's like, if you don't go to the hospital, you will die by the end of the week. And he's sitting there going, I'm not going to the hospital. I don't have the insurance and all this type of stuff. And I mean, so yeah, it can be very depressing, but I will tell you this. It, it is one of the most mesmerizing, stunning performances I've ever seen on cinema. It, it, it's up there with me, with Heath Ledger as the Joker, from just a sheer, expressive, emotional, this guy with his eyes, the pain that you see in him. It's, I mean, what a performance. It, I mean, within 10 minutes, you're like, okay, yeah, best actor, just give it to him. And he's the movie. I mean, he is the movie. There's like five people in the entire movie, and he's 90% of it by himself. No, it's, um, you know, I've always told people this, uh, you know, because I've I've had weight issues, you know, most of my life. <clears throat> that, you know, p- people don't, typically people look at people who are overweight, you know, with, they don't look at them like drug addicts or alcoholics or, or any of that. It's just stop eating. What's, what's the issue? And... um 
you know, man, so much of it, uh, when you when you do real research on it, you really look into it, you know, it's an emotional thing. It's, it's all these other things tied up with it. And it's really sad when people do that. It's no different than people who have anorexia and, and they can't eat or don't want to or it disgusts them and, or they have to throw it up, you know, when they do eat. And it, I like to say it, man, like this, man. Everybody's got issues, man. You just hope yours aren't the kind that lead to death. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But everybody's got issues, whether it's gambling or whether it's eating, whether it's smoking, whether it's shopping. It's, everybody's got some issues, man. And you just hope you can get control of your issue uh, before it gets control of you. Yeah. And, and I mean, you see all this and he, he kind of goes through the reasonings of why he went down this rabbit hole at, at the onset of what it is. And, and, and again, I will tell you, like it, it, you... I, I watched it because I wanted to see the performance and it is riveting, but it is an extra, it is a very emotional, very depressing movie and there's not a lot of positivity in it. So, I mean, it, it, it'll, it'll pull on you a little bit, but my, I mean, I could not, I mean, there are just scenes in this movie where I'm sitting here just mesmerized by his performance. I mean, it is incredible from an acting standpoint of what this dude was able to do. And you never once, like it, it literally, I mean, they were nominated for best makeup because he wore one of those fat suit things or whatever and, and all the prosthetics. And I mean, it looks like him. Like you never once think that it's not a real morbidly obese person and that Brendan Fraser didn't put on 700 pounds to perform this role. It's incredible. I thought about you the other day, oddly enough. Now, I can't remember what the show was, but I watched some show and I was like, the acting in this scene Oh, you know what it was? It was uh, BMF on Hulu about the uh, drug dealers from the 80s in Detroit. And, you know, so there's a there's a family, mom, dad, two brothers and a sister. The two brothers are drug dealers. Um, the parents know it, but don't like it and try to tell them to get out this lifestyle. Well, they pissed off some other drug dealer. The drug dealer they pissed off comes to their house while they're not there and plans to shoot the mother. And so she recognizes that, oh, this is this guy. And so he says something like, your son's hurt me. And she grabs his hands and she says, well, let's pray about it because what they did was wrong. And she goes into this prayer. But the reason I thought about you was the drug dealer never says a word in the scene. But you can look from his eyes how they change from this hatred of this woman that he doesn't know until I should let her live because she's praying right now, even though I don't really get out of this. You know, it's, it's not like I'm a religious person, but there's something about this prayer in this moment that has moved me. And you can see all of that in his eyes over about 30 seconds. And I was like, this dude played the fuck out of that scene. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking about you because I don't know, sometime when we were doing the show at ESPN, you were talking about we were talking about scenes and how you can you could not have you could not speak. But if you really into it. You can convey all that emotion with your face yeah. and never say a word. And then on top of that, when my man Lance Reddick died from uh, from the wire this week, yeah, somebody man. put on somebody put on Twitter like four or five clips of him doing scenes where he never says a word in the wire. Like there are other characters speaking. They look at him and he just stares back or gives a look. And they were like, that's how good he was. Never had the word. Never had to say a word to convey all his emotion in this particular scene. Yeah, and, and, and that's, I mean, you see a lot of that. Again, The Whale is based on a stage play, and there's a lot of it. I mean, it, like, 
you know, th- there's a couple of periphery characters, like a, there's a pizza delivery guy, you know, guys like that. But there, there are literally in this movie, there are four main characters and then one other character towards the end that's introduced. And it, it, it you watch it and it feels like a play because the entire movie is shot inside this dude's house and really in his apartment inside his living room because he can't move or go anywhere. And so the way they use the camera and the way that they do things, it feels very theatrical in a sense, like you're watching a play and it is, it's incredible. Again, if, if you appreciate stuff like that, because it, the, it, it, it's a lot, man, it, it's a heavy movie. The other thing that I wanted to throw out for you, I'm a big Idris Elba fan and I, I'd never seen his TV show called Luther, which was a, a BBC show. Dude, I watched both seasons of it. That's that was good. Dude, apparently they made a movie that is based off that character that dropped on Netflix a couple of weeks ago, and holy crap, that movie is good. Uh, I just got to the beginning of it, and then something happened. I couldn't go finish it, so I haven't I haven't gotten through it. But it's on my list to get back to. It is. There are twists that are real twists. It is very dark. It is super dark serial killer stuff with serial killer stuff on a level that I don't know that any movie has ever had as he tries to crack this case with all these missing people against this serial killer who's played by Andy Serkis, who a lot of people remember as Gollum from the Lord of the Rings movies. He was like that that type of guy. But I mean, it is very, very original. There is a lot of stuff in this movie I've never seen in any other type uh, serial killer, murder mystery type movie before. No, it's a, you know... some, you know, for the most part, Idris Elba's in it. I watch it. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't watch the movie about the crazed lion because yeah, that looks a little weird. That just looks. I can't watch a movie like that. Why? Him and his little girl or whoever he's with are going to survive no matter what happens to the lion all during the process. Yeah. So I got no interest in that. <laughs> yeah. But anything I, else he's in, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. okay, it's clear that the. The, the girl is not going to die. His daughter's not going to die. He's not going to die. And so no matter what happens during the movie, no matter how tenuous, how stressful, they're going to escape and it's going to be all good. Uh, so that don't appeal to me. But uh, any other other stuff he does, drama stuff, anything else, man, I'm, I'm pretty much down with it. Yeah, and, and, and it kind of made me, because I'd never seen the TV show, it kind of made me want to go back and watch that because it struck me in this film that he's kind of like a British Harry Bosch. That's exactly who he is. He's a flawed man and a flawed character. Uh, he's got real, real man issues in his life, and uh, he's trying to be a detective despite all of that. So yeah, go check it out. It's uh, it, it was worth it. Man, I blew through the first two series seasons and was mad that there wasn't a third. Yeah, and apparently, like all he cares about is justice. Like that's his whole thing. So yeah, I, I, I'd be willing to check that out. Another movie that we we do this like when we run out of our TV shows and we're kind of in between right now, where we'll watch. Oh, what's this on Netflix? That's in the top ten movies. And sometimes what happens on Netflix is they'll drop movies on there that fell through the cracks or a lot of people didn't see, but they put them on Netflix. They end up being in the top ten, so a ton of people will watch them. And that happened with this new, and again, this isn't a new movie. I had never heard about this, but it's got, it's Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson. It's Michael J. White and it's Tori Kittles, who are the main four guys in this. And it's a movie called Dragged Across Concrete that came out in 2018. So four and a half years ago when it came out, it's a neo-noir crime thriller that is, it's it's too long. It's two and a half hours long, but it's about two crooked cops that are suspended from the force. 
these two dudes, one of them who just got paroled from prison, who meets up with his buddy, and they're going to help these elite level bank robbers rob this bank. And it's really, it is the, I've never seen a movie that's like this. Because we usually see like these bank robbery, you know, crime, hey, we're going to stake out this stuff. And it's like, oh, we're going to show them doing this for 30 seconds, then we'll move on because it's boring to watch this. They show it like it is extremely deliberately slow where you see the process of these two cops and these two other dudes and this group of bank robbers kind of going through the process of it all as they follow them to the bank and they're trying to figure out where they're taking their heist and all this. Even at the end when the standoff happens, you're like, okay, what's going to happen? And it's, it's almost like you're watching it in real time with like they're not going to edit it like how it would actually go down. You're just watching it. But my God, it's slow. But it, it, in a way, it works. It's weird. Well, you know, slow sometimes can be better because it builds up that drama, that tension, that everything. But there's a fine line between slow and too slow. Yeah, and, th- and this is, I mean, there are times where it's like, okay, we get it. Like, it's a little too slow. Like, I don't necessarily want to watch this. And I will say this, man. I mean, they kill some dudes in this thing. All right, I'm down for that. There, there are some people who get killed in this thing. And, and I mean, you kinda, it kind of gets to a point where you're like, I don't know how anybody's getting out of this. I mean, you, it, it's, it, it's, it's wild. But it is, and I saw one of the complaints about it was it was too long because it's two hours and 38 minutes long. And it's... I see where they could have cut out half an hour of it, but then you would lose, I think, part of the point of that methodical, at the end of the day, what these cops are doing is boring, stakeouts are boring, and and it's not all glamorous type of action, action, action type thing. So, no, I don't it's know. It's more of a realistic look at it, because it's, it's, oh, yeah. it's kind of like that. You know, nobody sits around and goes, uh, you know, dirty, hairy you know, 40, 24 hours in a day. No doubt, man. Uh, I mean, it, stake it's... out is all this sit around and watch and then make a move, maybe. And man, the, the uh, yeah, there, it, it's it's interesting. And, and there is some, I mean, there's some intense, intense scenes in this film as well. But it, it, it's like you got to go through 20 minutes of like just random everyday stagnant life to get to the five minutes that are a little bit more intense. But you brought up Lance, Lance Riddick, man. And when I saw that he had passed, and this was coming up about five days ago, 60 years old, man. The dude was 60 years old and died from natural causes uh, at 60. Know, that seems odd. Seems like we got to have, I mean, natural causes can be nobody killed you, obviously. You have a disease, but, you know, maybe you had a heart attack, maybe you had an aneurysm, something. Uh, you know, we, we need an autopsy just so I can have peace of mind. Because, uh, you know, he appeared to be in good health. And so, but uh, I loved him as an actor, man. Because oh, yeah. he, was, uh, he was very powerful. Never said a lot, but just very powerful. And uh, to me, he wasn't a, I don't know, something about him that, that made him unique. And maybe it's, you know, maybe it was his look or maybe it was his, uh, uh, the way he was conservative with words. I don't know what it was, but uh, he, was, he was excellent at his job. Yeah, his voice where where he could get get on you and his voice and like you said that stare that he had and, and you know he played that type of role quite a bit that that detective police type role you know he did it he was in Oz if you ever saw that played that role obviously he played that same role on Bosch he it, people forget he was in Bosch in all the seasons as you brought up he was in the wire playing Cedric Daniels in the wire in that kind of role. And, and was in a lot of like appeared in law and order a few times appeared in a variety of shows that are kind of like that. And I, of course was in a bunch of movies. I mean, did a ton of movies was in all the John wicks 
And it was interesting because in John Wick, he, he kind of played a different type of guy where I forget his character's name, but kind of like the gateway keeper to that weird ass hotel where John Wick goes. Right, right. But yeah, man, Lance Reddick, when I when I saw he had passed, I was like, what? And then you see it, you're like, 60 years old? No way, man. Like, that just is, I mean, that is way too soon. Way too soon. Nah, it is, man. It's, uh, it's a sadness about that, man. He's a, uh, he's, he's probably, uh, once he died, which is sad, I figured out that he was probably one of my favorite actors. He was clutch. I, I, I never I mean, I, saw him I, I do sh- something I didn't enjoy. I should say it like this. He was one of my favorite uh, uh, supporting actors because he's never the star. He's always a supporting guy, but uh, he got down on that, man. And you know what's odd is you said he was in uh, This Happens, though. You said he was in Oz, and I watched Oz, but I don't remember him in Oz. Yeah, he was, uh, I think it was the same type of role. I mean, he, he played that same type of thing, like a detective or a cop or some something that, as I recall, at the top of my head. Yeah, no, I believe you. I but, just yeah. can't remember. So now that's, I mean, I don't need much of an excuse to go back and look at Oz one time. No, that's a, uh, that's a show I wouldn't mind going back and trying to check out again because it it was, you know, it had six seasons and it was extremely graphic at times. I mean, it had some wild care. I mean, it was prison. It was legit what prison is. They didn't hold back on it, man. No, nah, bro. That I, First time I looked at Oz, I was like, oh, my <laughs> Oh, wow. This is, uh, yeah, this ain't good. Yeah, there's a, I mean, it, it is what you would kind of expect prison to be, which I, I don't know that any of us ever wanted to see that. All right, so before we, we let you roll away, just real quick here, the, the Mavs lose again last night. And I mean, we're recording this on Tuesday, so they lose Monday night. And you look at the Mavs, they blow a 16-point lead in the fourth quarter Memphis outscored them 29 to 12 in the fourth quarter last night. Kyrie went 0 for 8 in the fourth quarter, leaves the game in a walking boot as he re-aggravated his foot. And now with 10 games left, they're 36 and 36. They're in the seventh spot, a half game behind Golden State in the sixth spot. They are one game ahead of the Lakers for the 11th spot and completely missing the playoffs. They got problems, bro. And, uh, I look at the season now and I go, all those leads you pissed away early in the season and lost games where you should have won. Mm. Those are all the games coming back to haunt you now. Yesterday was another one. But yesterday I understood why they lost. Meaning like this. And this happens sometimes. Like you can say your biggest lead of the game was 16 and it was. It was something like 96 to 80. Because yeah. I was actually watching it for a minute because uh, I was at a restaurant with a couple coaches last night. Uh, but as soon as it got to be 96 to 80, like immediately, there was no back and forth of possession. It was immediately the Grizzlies went on an 11-0 run. And so before, I mean, so they never, the 96, the 16-point lead, there was never an opportunity to extend it. As soon as it jumped to 16, a minute and a half later, it was down to five. And so it was almost like it never existed because the Grizzlies literally went on a run right away. And so, yeah, it's a 16-point lead, and you had it, but you never, it was never really a 16-point lead, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and I mean, we'll see. They've, they've got to get this thing right. You Again, I just mentioned they're a half game behind Golden State. They play Golden State on Wednesday night. 
you're, you're going to need to take down Golden State, jump up ahead of them, and then you get back-to-back games against Charlotte, who, oh, by the way, is one of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference, and up until they won on Monday night against Indiana, had lost four straight and had lost seven out of their last nine. That's a team... You should beat them. And you should win. You need to win your next three games. Win your damn next three games. Luca didn't play again last night. Hopefully, they can get him back. Hopefully, Kyrie's not injured. I mean, I was trying to figure this out. I mean, him and Luca have only played together in a handful of games since they traded for Kyrie Irving. Yeah, well, the problem now is injuries, man. If they had their regular team, I don't really think it'd be that big a deal. Or if they had one of their two superstars, like last night, it wouldn't be that big a deal. But uh, you don't, and now you got a problem. And it's at the end of the season, and uh, bro, it's uh, it could go either way. And I, I don't overreact because everybody in the West is having these issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're winning, they're losing, they're they're winning. I mean, it's it. That's why things change so dramatically every day, and why you can't be getting all caught up in it. You just have to accept it for what it is and keep it moving. Yeah, and I mean, like to your point, I mean, this is you got ten games left. Literally, because of how packed the Western Conference is, you need everyone. Like you need. I don't know that they can finish 500 and make the playoffs. Honestly, it feels like they're going to need to go six and four, seven and three in these last 10 games to be able to get one of those spots. And and can they still avoid the play in? It's possible. But man, you got to start stacking some wins somewhere along the way. Yeah, but they haven't won more than two in a row in like a month. And so we can say they need to stack some wins, but ain't no evidence that they're capable of stacking wins right now because they don't have the team that's capable of doing it. I mean, you know, yeah. they're a team that's built for a star and role players. Well, you can't really expect your role players to win. You know what I mean? That's true. I mean, you got to hope that Luca and Kyrie are both going to be able to play against Golden State because, man, you need that game. You need that yeah. game. A Western Conference team that's literally the team that you're right behind for that sixth spot, they've got to beat Golden State. Yes, sir. I would believe, I would, uh, I would, I would agree with that. So that, my friends, is this version of Jam Session. We'll let Jacques get back to his beautiful view. I saw that picture you sent me looking out over the stadium with the gorgeous mountains in the background. I mean, my God. Yeah, I, I sent that to you so you could know that you could literally can see mountains wherever you are. I'm in an office. I just looked out the window. Oh, there's some mountains. Let me send it to Matt. Man, that, that would be one of those stadiums. I've never seen a game in Colorado, but that's one of those places at Folsom Field that I've heard with the live buffalo they run out that is – as poor as Colorado has been in recent years and, and the idea, I mean, everybody believes Dion's going to turn that thing around super quick, but that right. that's one of those stadiums and atmospheres that I think would be really cool to see a college football game in. Um, I'm with you on that, bro. So I, I imagine you'll get that opportunity. Maybe he's coming up soon. At some point I will. Yeah, that'll be fun. I don't doubt, I don't doubt that. And that is the podcast. We'll be back for you again with a new episode coming your way on Friday. Continue enjoying your week. Continue letting people know that Jam Session is a thing that exists that they can listen to. We appreciate you guys very much, and we will talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. 
We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.